0: This is a sermon from the High Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org. Good morning, Park Church. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 8, 5 through 17. That's Matthew 8, 5 through 17. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, thank you. Good morning, Park Church. So good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. I want to welcome everyone worshiping with us online. We are delighted you're here. My name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And in just a moment, we're going to be looking at that passage that we just read. So have your Bibles open there to Matthew chapter 8, and we'll be looking at verses 5 through 17. In just a moment... Hey, but before we jump in, I just want to remind you that today is the first Sunday that Park Church is officially functioning as one church with two congregations. Right now at this moment, 10 in the morning, the 10 o'clock service, our downtown congregation is worshiping at the Asterisk building. Uh, It's really, it's right on the corner of Park and Broadway downtown. And so we are really, really excited about that. And want all of us, whether you're thinking about or considering heading down there to, to make that your church home or staying here in the Highlands, I just want to encourage all of us to be praying for that and be praying that we would see this gospel movement happen all throughout the city. We're longing for it. We're praying for it. We desire uh, to see it happen. And so if you would join all of us in prayer for that, we would really, really uh, be honored that you would do that. So let's do this. Let's pray. Let's ask for God to speak to us this morning morning uh, through His word, by His spirit, so let me pray for us, Father God, we come before you right now. we acknowledge that we are hopeless, helpless without you, that the, the reality is that we are alive right now is only because you have willed it. that means that you have purpose and meaning for our life that that we are here not by an accident but by a divine appointment and so Lord, we would we would ask then that you would speak to us. We've come to worship, to sing, to pray, to be in community with other brothers and sisters, but God, right now, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit. God, give us ears to hear what we need to hear individually and then what we need to hear collectively as your church. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to begin this morning by reminding us of the context uh, for the passages that we are looking at this morning. Remember Jesus has just finished up his most famous sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, that sermon stretched from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7, so if you've been with us for a while, you remember we've been, we've been going through that for quite some time. And and at the end of chapter seven, uh, at the end of the sermon, Matthew concludes the section this way. If you wanna look over there in chapter seven, you can, verses 28 and 29. Notice how Jesus ends that, that section. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Now this is Matthew speaking. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. That's an amazing statement. So it seems that the primary takeaway for the audience who heard Jesus' most famous sermon wasn't necessarily all that he had said, but rather the way in which he had said it and the authority in which he had said it again, look at what Matthew said. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes, so there was there was a sense in which authority and power, what was emanating from him as he was teaching. It was like he was the source. He himself was the source of authority and power as he was teaching. That's why he kept saying, if you remember the sermon, you have heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. say counting himself as the authority, rather than needing to appeal to other sources for his authority like the scribes would have done. And then immediately after that, Matthew shifts the scene from Jesus revealing his authority through words and through his message to revealing his authority and power through his actions, through the miracles we see happening here in chapter eight. So as we jump in, I I wanna give us just kind of a guiding question, something to guide our thoughts today. Here's the question. If you're taking notes, feel free to write it down. Here's the question. Why did Jesus reveal his authority through these miracles? Why did Jesus reveal his authority through these? these miracles why wasn't just his message enough well let me give you three reasons three reasons from verses 5 through 17 I'm sure there are more but we'll stick with three that will take us long enough all right so let's just stick with three today number one why did he reveal his power this way to reveal who he was all right? Jesus did these miracles to reveal who he truly was. Notice verse 17, if you would, with me. Look at how verse 17 sums up why Jesus healed the man with leprosy, why he healed the centurion servant, why he healed Peter's mother-in-law, and then at the end of this section, verses 16 and 17, why he healed all these people coming to him with various diseases, even some being possessed by demons. Verse 17 wraps it up, sums it up for us. It says, this was, Matthew said, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. All right, so Matthew's about to quote the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, four. And here's what the prophet said, hundreds and hundreds of years, before Jesus even showed up on the scene. Says he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, in other words, Matthew is saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise found in Isaiah 53, four, that when Israel's Messiah arrives, he will do exactly what we are seeing Jesus do in these healing miracles here in chapter eight. And the very first one to see it was the Roman centurion. All right, And remember, he's a Gentile. Don't let that be lost on you. We're gonna come back to that in just a little bit. Let's look at verses five through nine to get started. Look at verse five. It says, and when he entered Capernaum, all right, this is Jesus. Coming into Capernaum, which was kind of his base of ministry at this time, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. A centurion was a Roman soldier who would have had it probably around a hundred soldiers under his command. He comes to a Jewish religious leader and he's about to ask him something for him to do something for him. Notice verse six. He says, Lord, which is amazing. He calls him Lord. Here's a Roman soldier coming to a Jewish religious leader saying, Lord, he knows something about Jesus. My servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. That's typically how healings would happen, right? you would need to be in close proximity to the person who needed to be healed. That's pretty much always how Jesus did it. Normally he would show up on the scene and and touch them and they would be healed. But notice the centurion's response. He says again, Lord, like he knows something about Jesus. He's not just a regular Jewish religious leader. He's not just a good teacher. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say what? Say the word. Only say the word. He's acknowledging that, that Jesus doesn't even have to be in the room. He doesn't have to touch his servant. That Jesus is powerful enough over creation, over the natural order, over disease, over sickness, to heal from, from some distance. Shows you his faith. Shows his understanding of the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. And he goes on to explain it. He understands authority, why? Because he's a centurion. For for I too am a man under authority. So he had people over him, right? Ultimately the emperor, uh, with soldier, and I have soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it, why? Because he was a man who had authority. He could tell people to go here and go here and come here. Why? Because he had power and authority. So so here the centurion understands in a sense why Jesus had the the ability to heal. Why? Because he was Lord over all things. And And he's acknowledging that. And then look down to verse 13. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go let it be done for you as you have what? Believed and at that moment, the servant was healed. He was healed at that very moment when he said, go do or let it be done for you as you have believed. Now, some might be here and you're thinking, I can't believe that. (laughs) You're like, no, 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 I can't. If that's what Jesus is about, I am not in, that is weird. I don't believe in miracles. Right? That, that can be a roadblock for a lot of people as you're wrestling with who Jesus is and you see this kind of stuff and you're like, whoa, that's strange, I don't get it. So so maybe there's there's two camps in the room, maybe there's the folks that would say, well, I believe in God, I'm cool with God, but I don't believe in miracles. Some of you might, there, yeah, it might be right there. I believe in God, the whole miracle thing, no way. All right, well, just, that really doesn't work, does it, right? I believe in God, but I don't believe in miracles. That doesn't really work, because if you believe there is a God, then God would have the power to perform miracles. That's what we call a non sequitur, right? Like, that That doesn't work. So then you, you gotta go, well, then I don't believe in God, and miracles can't happen. Maybe that's where you find yourself. You're a little more intellectually honest, maybe. And that seems to solve the problem, right? If you don't believe in miracles, just don't believe in God and that takes care of it. But I I just want to let you know, for those of you in that camp, that's also a a large, huge leap of faith. You're saying there is no God, so therefore there cannot be miracles. And so it, it requires faith. It requires the same kind of faith that the centurion had to believe that Jesus could heal his servant. So my hope is that you won't be locked in, so dogmatic and and not looked really at the totality of all that Jesus said and did, which revealed that he was the son of God, God in the flesh. That's how the centurion got there. That's how the centurion could believe that Jesus had that kind of power, that kind of authority. He had heard about other miracles that Jesus had done. Maybe he had even seen some, I don't know. He he had heard what Jesus had said. He saw how Jesus treated people and knew there was something very, very different and special about him that set him apart from all the other religious leaders. He had to ask himself after seeing and hearing all these things about Jesus, how could all this come together in one person? How could this happen? He has to be Lord. That's why he said it twice, Lord, Lord. He had to be the Lord of all creation. He has to be God. So the the first reason Jesus revealed his authority and power through these miracles was to reveal who he truly was. He was not just a good teacher. He was not just a religious leader, but rather he was God in the flesh. Second, Jesus revealed his authority through these miracles to reveal how the world should be. This is so beautiful to me. And and we often miss this when Jesus does these amazing miracles and he heals people. What these miracles show us, what they reveal is how the world is supposed to be, how God intended it to be. See, Jesus did not just show off when he did these miracles. It wasn't just like, hey, look at how powerful I'm, oh my It was more than that. Do you realize that almost all of his miracles deal with the suffering of the human race? Have you ever thought about that? Go back and look at all of his miracles. Not all of them, but almost all of them are, are dealing with the suffering of the human race. Feeding the hungry, healing the sick, healing the blind, healing the deaf, even raising the dead. Like, why is that? Why is that? Again, because his miracles were designed how the world uh, is supposed to be, to show how the world is supposed to be. And then they, they do that kind of two ways, by pointing back to the past and pointing forward to the future. What do I mean by that? Well, his miracles point back to how it was before sin entered the picture, right? And, and, and how sin brought devastation and brokenness into creation. They point all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2 to the Garden of Eden when there was no sin, there was no brokenness, there was no pain, there was no jealousy, no envy, no cancer, no war, no pandemic, no natural, believe that, no pandemic. Amazing, well, let's get back there. No natural disasters. Sin and sickness and disease were not part of his original creation. They are unnatural. Hear that. Sin and sickness and disease are actually unnatural. His miracles reveal that. Uh, Tim Keller said it this way. Death, decay, and destruction are suspensions of God's natural order. Isn't that awesome? What a great way to think about that. Jesus' miracles are the only natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonic, and wounded. Wow. Have you ever thought of his miracles that way? So, So Jesus came to reveal how the world should be by pointing back through his miracles to how the world was before sin altered his creation. But, His miracles also reveal how the world should be by pointing ahead to what the world will be like after he returns. This is the good news of the gospel. Christ is returning. Look at verse 11, if you would. Referring to the centurion's faith and how that's a picture that many, many more will believe. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west. That's also some of the Old Testament promises when the kingdom of God is fully established. People from all over, all walks of life, all different ethnicities, all places will be coming to the kingdom of God and they'll recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. This is referring to the time in the future when Jesus will return to this world and make everything right. All that's broken will be renewed. That's the promise of the gospel. No more crime, no more death, no more suffering, no more tears, no more disaster, no more cancer, no more racism, no more war. You can read about that. I wanna encourage you sometime today, grab a Bible, get it some time alone with the Lord and read Revelation 21 and 22 and just meditate on it and let that wash over you. And Jesus' miracles were a pointer that that day is coming. So these miracles prove that Jesus is no happier with things uh, the way things are than we are. And another little aspect of this These miracles actually lay out an agenda for his followers, for us, if you're a follower of Jesus. And the agenda is this, while we're here, we need to have just as much dissatisfaction with the brokenness, injustice, and suffering in the world as Jesus did, and do something about it. Uh, One example of Jesus dealing with uh, some of the social injustices in this culture at this time, right here in chapter 8. Do you see that the three main healings in the chapter involve people who would have been either outcasts in Jewish society or treated as second-class citizens? What I mean? Well, the leper, the very beginning of the chapter. uh, Gary did a great job last week teaching on this. The leper, he was excluded from the life of the community and and not allowed to worship with the people of God because he was considered unclean, kicked to the curb. The centurion and his servant, did you know that they were obviously Gentiles, non-Jews, and religious Jews would have had nothing to do with them for fear of being even defiled by them. Peter's mother-in-law, okay, ladies, I love you, all right? Remember, I'm just delivering the mail, all right? I'm not saying this is how it should be, but at that time in history, in this part of the world, Peter's mother-in-law, women were typically treated as second-class citizens and did not have the same rights as men. And I love the example of Jesus healing her. Look at that. He shows up at the house, 14 and 15. Jesus entered Peter's house, saw his mother, Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever's gone. What's so beautiful about that is you would never see any other religious leader do this. This was a complete, like overcoming all kinds of social barriers. No self-respecting religious Jew male would touch a woman who was not their wife. And Jesus is like, I don't care. She needs to be healed. Like he, he just went over all of that and showed her that she's not second class. And despite of all of that, Jesus, God in the flesh, paid special attention, did what he could to make things right. And that's what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. Jesus ministered in word and deed. There's a gospel message, and by the way, there's also a gospel ethic. Most of us as Christians are pretty good with the gospel message, not so great with the gospel ethic. Any amens? No, that's, okay, it's quiet. All right, <laughs> myself included. I'm not pointing fingers, I'm talking about me. Man, I could give you the theology, I can give you the doctrine, I can give you the gospel, but does my wife, I'll say my wife, like she'll let you know, my life, doesn't always reflect that gospel ethic. But here's the deal, one without the other is absolutely incomplete, incomplete. Jesus modeled that and by his grace, we're to pursue both word and deed until we see him face to face. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, it wouldn't be a sermon without a Lewis quote, right? Lewis said, especially for the Wheaton grads, uh, which is a lot in this church, Christianity is a fighting religion. This is Lewis. Now some of you are like, exactly, that's why I don't wanna be a Christian. All right, no. Hear out the quote. Christianity is a fighting religion. When we see cancer or a slum, we say that ought not to be. And we do what we can to make it better. Wow. That's Christianity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the church is only truly the church when it exists for others. The church is only truly the church when it exists for others. And Jesus said something amazing in John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus said this, truly I say to you, Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, whoever's one of my followers, whoever's one of my disciples, one of my apprentices, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Greater, not like more powerful, but greater because there's gonna be more of us. He was only one, but there's gonna be more of us. Right now there are, Roughly a billion people in the world that claim to be followers of Jesus. So if all billion of us were on the same agenda to love the world in word and deed, think about what could be accomplished for the glory of God and the joy of all people. So Jesus ministered in word and deed and that's how we are called to be in our neighborhoods, our schools, workplaces, families, apartments, homes. On the one hand, we're we're called to humbly and respectfully share the gospel wherever we have the opportunity. And, And while we're doing that, we are also called to love and serve our neighbors whether they believe or not because that's how Jesus did it. So, Jesus' miracles reveal who he was. His miracles reveal how the world should be. They're showing that the God through Christ is putting the world back together. And last, his miracles reveal how he saved us. This is beautiful. His miracles reveal how he saved us. See, in our our stories of heroes, in our superhero stories, our our superheroes do not use their powers to become more vulnerable, right? They are invulnerable. Think of Superman, right? Superman doesn't show up and say to his enemies, hey, here's kryptonite, destroy me. That's not not how man-made superheroes do it. However, in Jesus, God became vulnerable. Jesus was hungry, weak, tired. He suffered and and ultimately died for us. So so when Jesus did miracles, it actually made his enemies more angry at him. After he raised Lazarus from the dead, they said, okay, now it's time to kill him. It goes on in John 11, they began to plot how they would kill him. His supernatural power did not make him invulnerable. It made him more vulnerable, more killable, if you would. So why did Jesus put himself in this position? Look at verse 17. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And the worst illness and disease of all was our sin. And he became vulnerable, laid his life down before his enemies and allowed them to crush him for us. Jesus came to lay his life down. He didn't come to bring the judgment. He came to bear the judgment. He bore the curse of sin and all that comes with it at the cross so that someday he can come back, make the world perfect, and, and as he originally intended it to be, to end all of evil and brokenness without ending us. His miracles show strength through weakness, which is absolutely countercultural to the world we live in. Strength through weakness. He saves us by becoming weak. We get the power of God in our lives by becoming weak, by repenting, by saying, I need a savior. I need forgiveness. And his miracles point to this in our lives. So here's, here's my last final thought. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you to believe what you heard about him today. Would you believe Turn to him and be saved today. If you're a follower of, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to call you to serve the world like Jesus did. In word and deed, word and deed, word and deed. For the glory of God and the joy of all people. Let's pray. Father, we we want to thank you for your word. It's challenging. It's convicting, but we're thankful. God, we want to be changed. We want to be transformed. We don't want to be the same people we were when we came in this morning. So, Spirit, I ask that you would meet us right where we are and speak to us. Show us what we need to hear from you. Transform us right on the spot. God, if there are things we need to, to change or repent of, God, give us the grace to do that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.